Our scripture today is John 15, 1 through 5. It says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Thank you, Alexa. Good morning. My name is James. I'm one of the pastors. If you guys are new here just for the first time, welcome. If you're watching online for the first time, we are so grateful that you can join us. Uh, the last few weeks, we've been looking at a series on practicing prayer. And we've been moving towards each week doing a prayer practice that we can then use during that week. And I hope for those who have been with us in this journey, a couple weeks ago we started with uh, the Lord's Prayer. And then the last, last week we looked at Psalm 23 as a prayer through the week. And this week we'll be looking at is meditating upon Scripture. Now, for some people, just that word saying meditation, does anyone, you don't have to raise your hands, all of a sudden a little, little weirdness starts calling up your spine, just like, uh-oh, we can't use that word. Like, no, 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 that's, that's, that's not for us. And how many, anyone get a little er nervous or uneasy just hearing those words and say, no, no, that's, that's that new age stuff. And I understand why some people can kind of freak out a little bit that word meditation, because sadly it's been co-opted by many others over the last numbers of years. And whether it be Buddhist monks, I used to spend a lot of time in Southeast Asia uh, as a missionary, I spent a lot of time around Buddhist temples and Hindu temples. And, you know, whether it be that you know, the image of, of meditation is people say they're going home, right? But just that long silence. It's, it's kind of a weird thing when you're in a temple with hundreds and hundreds of people doing that. Or, or whether it's uh, Hinduism of, of followers of that that are, fo that are following meditation and the idea of yogis and I think of the Beatles going off to find their yogi in India back in the day. Or more recently, the New Age movement of uh, where this yoga or mindfulness has become so big. In fact, even in public schools now, many public schools practice mindfulness and meditation in schools because science has proven that it's good for the brain. And so there's a form of mindfulness and meditation that people be able to do. And, and so some people associate that with biblical meditation, but that's not what we're talking about this morning. Long before Siddhartha Buddha ever walked on the face of the earth many, many years ago, Long before meditation became cool in its modern sense, before there was Yoda in the force meditating, before there were, you know, weed-smoking hippies in their bell-bottom jeans that were, that were meditation and doing other stuff, and, and any of those in our midst, and, oh, you don't want to say the weed part, any, any hippies <laughs> in their bell-bottoms that were, that were enjoying meditation back in the 70s, right? And way before a Canadian businessman uh, brought, you know, yoga pants to the world through Lululemon, right, that's for meditation, there was something called Bible meditation. And it's something that's spoken of in Scripture many, many times. Joshua chapter 1, verse 7 puts it this way. Be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey all the laws my servant Moses gave you, but do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Here it is. Meditate upon it, and it being the Word of God, the, the Bible, the, the Torah at that point. It wasn't the Bible. It was called the Torah at that point, the first five books of the law. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. So meditate so you can do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous, prosperous and successful. So this is the first usage of that word meditate in Scripture. And instructions here are given to Joshua as he's preparing to enter the promised land that he needs to meditate upon God's written words. And not just to read them, but to meditate upon them, to know them, to memorize them, but then especially to embody them to live them out, that it's not just in his head, but it's actually lived out in his life. 
And David uses this word frequently as well, over 15 times in the Psalms that he speaks of meditating upon God's words. And in fact, this is how the book of Psalms even opens. Psalms chapter 1, verse 1 opens this way. Right at the beginning of the book, he says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with the mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating upon it day and night. They are like trees planted by, along the riverbank, bearing fruit in each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all that they do. So David is speaking of the joy of those who meditate upon God's word. And he describes them as their lives are deeply rooted in like the riverbanks, that the, the spirit moves through them like a river into the life of the trees and the roots and the branches, that it's, that's what it's like to meditate, to dwell upon the very word of God. And notice again, this idea of meditation is closely linked to doing. It's not just something that's filling up with information, but it's actually about doing, living differently, following the ways of God. And, but just like meditation today has different meanings, we have meditation that can be beautiful and, and honoring of God's word and the law. There's also a meditation that goes into demonic places. And, and so in the Bible, the same thing is true. Meditation has multiple understandings, or the original word does. You see, in the original language, the word for, Hebrew word for meditation is the word haga. We'll use that word a few times today, but that word haga can mean multiple things. It's to growl or to groan is really the literal translation of that, or to mutter or to meditate or to ponder. It's often used of like a lion growling. So Isaiah 31 verse 4 says, as a lion or a young lion growls over its prey. So again, growls, that's that word for meditate in this context. So think of a dog like chewing on a bone. You guys ever have a dog chewing on a bone? It's like growling. It's just savoring and eating the bone and, and devouring and eating. It's just and that, that growl is just that process of just owning it and, and groaning as it goes into its mouth and it savors on that bone. In fact, Eugene Peterson wrote a book kind of all about this. It's, I'm going to pull from it multiple times today. It's called Eat This Book uh, is, is the name of it. And it's, it's honestly, it's probably my favorite book that I, I recommend to people when, it, when wanting to read scripture and go deeper into uh, Bible meditation. It's an incredible book. And Eugene Peterson, again, is one of the most influential pastors and scholars of the last hundred years. Uh, he, he translated the Message Bible into, or he translated the Bible into the Message Translation. He, he was someone whose life was devoted to not just knowing about God, despite the fact that he's an amazing scholar of Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. And he's a professor of those languages at multiple places. His real passion was people loving God and getting to know the God of the Bible, not just know about him. And he says this in this book about Haga. He says this way. Haga is a word that our Hebrew ancestors use frequently for reading the kind of writing that deals with our souls. But meditate, he says, is far too tame of a word for what's being signified. Meditate seems more suited to what I do in a quiet chapel on my knees with a candle burning on the altar or to what my wife does while sitting in a rose garden with the Bible open in her lap. It says, but when Isaiah's lion and my dog Haga or meditated, they chewed and they swallowed using teeth and tongue and stomach and intestines. Isaiah's lion meditating his goat, my dog meditating his bone. There is a certain kind of writing that invites this kind of reading. Soft purrs and low growls as we taste and savor and anticipate and take in the sweet and spicy, mouth-watering and soul-energizing morsel words. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, the psalmist said in 
Isaiah uses, in fact, the same word, haga, a few pages later for the cooing of a dove. The Baron Friedrich von Hugel compared this way of reading, I love this, to letting a very slowly dissolving lozenge melt imperceptibly in your mouth. Where it just kind of becomes, it melts in and becomes part of you. So Bible meditation is something that involves pondering, savoring, lingering, contemplating, and ingesting. And it wouldn't be inappropriate to do it with like a little growl or rumble or like cooing like a dove, right? If you want to have some fun with it. Uh, but Scripture also talks about another kind of haga or another type of meditating. And it's kind that isn't really good. In fact, the opposite. The word often translated in this case, they use the word muttering. So Isaiah chapter 8, same book, chapter 8, verse 19, says, Someone may say to you, sorry, chapter 8, verse 19, someone may say to you, let's ask the mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead with their whisperings and mutterings, and that's that word haga right there, mutterings, they will tell us what to do. But shouldn't people ask God for guidance? Should the living seek the guidance from the dead? So right there, that word haga is that word mutterings. And in this case, case it's used to describe basically a, a muttering or a meditating upon the, the words that which, which is used to speak to the dead. Right? Same word being used there, in this case, in an evil context. Or in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 1, it says, Don't envy the evil or desire to be with them, for their hearts plan vengeance. That's haga again. In this case, the heart being moved towards evil and vengeance, same word, haga. So here the evil or the haga is upon violence and evil and destruction, and they're pondering upon those things that are not good in this way. So you see, so one can meditate in powerful and beautiful ways upon the things of God. One can also meditate or haga in really evil ways as well. And sadly for many Christians, it's been a fear of adopting new age practices or engaging in demonic practices has caused many believers to stop hogging, sorry, that's just a made up word, but you put the end of it, to stop meditating in the scriptural way upon scripture, the way we are commanded to in scripture, out of fear of the new age movement and other stuff that have co-opted that whole idea. And so for many Christians, especially since the enlightenment, it's kind of moved more to our head and less out of our heart as we read scripture. It becomes more about how much can we read than actually delving deep into it in the way that it's recommended in scripture or not recommend commanded and so meditating upon scripture it's it's not just about informing our minds or information but it's about transformation it's not just learning what the text says but it's changing us to to become more like jesus become more and gain the heart of god deeper within our heart it goes from the mind to the heart is really the focus of this and, and that's what hogging or meditating is all about. God's word becoming a part of us, changing us and, and forming us. In fact, that's why Eugene Peterson calls this book, Eat This Book. Right? The reason he says that is the title comes from the examples that God gives in Scripture on three different occasions, where God tells prophets or, in this, or, or apostles to literally eat this, this scroll or to eat this, the, the word of God. And why does he tell them? He says it to Ezekiel, to Jeremiah, and to the apostle John. He tells them to literally eat God's words or eat the scroll. And each of them, they're at its point, it's fascinating, all three of these men are at a place where they are leading God's people in the midst of one of the historically, the two hardest times in Israel's history. 
So Ezekiel and Jeremiah are writing during the time, or are living during the time of the Babylonian exile, where all of Israel almost is slaves in Babylon. They are in terrible situation. They've lost their identity. They've lost who they are. The Babylonians are trying to completely remove their Jewish history and heritage from their lives and get them to become completely Babylonian in all ways. And so their entire culture is being ripped from them and everything they believe. And, you, and, and during this time, God tells them to eat this book right? The Word of God, the, 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 the Torah, the laws at that point. Why? To get it into you, not just to have it in your head, but to get it into you and lived out in the body. And the same thing is true of the Apostle John. That's written during the book of Revelation, where the church is under the worst persecution of all time, where the Roman government is trying to completely wipe out the church and is killing Christians by the thousands. And again, he tells John, eat this book. May it be something that you devour, that is part of you, that is internalized to you, and then is lived out in your life. They needed to internalize the truth of God and live it out. And so God tells them to eat his words. And today, I think the same thing is true of our society. We need the same message. We as Christians must not just read the Bible, not just recite Scripture, but to eat it, to devour it, to groan and growl over it, to haga it until it becomes part of us. And it doesn't just inform us or inform how we think about politics or theology or something else or worldview, but it actually transforms us in how we live and how we love. It becomes part of us. Amen? So how do we eat the Word of God then? Because it doesn't taste very nice. Uh, how do we growl over it? How do we haga Scripture? Now historically, this is done many, many different ways. In fact, we could take the next probably 10 years of sermons and every week just show a different way, and every week just show a different way historically that Christians have haga the Bible in different ways. But each week, as, as this, we've been doing this past week, or the past couple weeks, the next few, we're looking at some different ways to do this. But the most obvious way that's done historically by, by the Jewish believers, or, or those who follow God and Christians, has been simply by Bible memorization. In fact, the Jews took these words literally that God was telling them in the Old Testament, and they responded and said, we therefore must memorize Scripture, and not just some of it. He said, you must meditate upon the law, so what does every single Jewish boy do? By the time of 13, they've all memorized the Torah. All the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, completely memorized. Why? Because God said, meditate upon it. So what do they do? They took him at his word and said, therefore, we will internalize it. We will memorize it. Right? Anyone here have Leviticus completely memorized? Right? It's really hard to know, like, what pussy discharge is in which chapter compared to the other discharges and which kind. I mean, it's just, it gets really difficult to memorize which one's which, right? If you're going to memorize, I don't recommend starting in Leviticus. Um, in fact, if you're going to memorize the place I'd recommend starting, I think I said it the other day, would be the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 or Psalm 23 is a better place to start. But you can memorize large sections of Scripture. That's historically what the church has done and what definitely the Jewish people do, and that's beautiful. But you can memorize large sections of Scripture and not have it transform you in any way. You can me memorize massive sections. You can have all the Torah memorized. I know a guy has most of the Scriptures memorized of the entire Bible, and yet it stays in the head. Brilliant teacher, but the life isn't reflecting it. In fact, for a season, I got really into Bible memorization back a number of years ago where I began to memorize a passage a day for an entire year. Every single day of the year I did this. 
And month after month, memorizing passage after passage after passage, usually a few verses a day. And I just, that was, I was just devoted to that, just memorizing and memorizing. And I was doing really good. I memorized so much scripture. I loved it. I could quote, it's amazing you do it every single day, how much you get into your head of all the main passages and whole chapters and, and one whole book and all this stuff that I was memorizing. I was loving it, enjoying it so much until I realized after a little while of doing this close to around the year point that I was getting really arrogant. In fact, it was going to my head in the negative way. It was staying in my head and it was giving me a fatter head. And I used to love to be able to debate with people and, and, and debate theology because especially as I would debate theology, I'd just be quoting everything from my head and the lesser theologians had to go and look in their Bible to be able to refer where it was. And I'd say, oh no, that's in that place. But doesn't it say, like, oh, that? yeah, that's in this chapter, this verse. I loved being able to do that. It was all going to my head and until one day the Lord told me, stop memorizing until you can actually live out some of what you've memorized. Just stop it. Right? In fact, in Scripture... During the time of Jesus, which group of people memorized more scripture than anyone else? It was the Pharisees. They knew it backwards and forwards better than anyone else. It informed them a ton, but it didn't transform them. It doesn't mean we don't memorize, we still do, but it means it's got to have the heart behind it. In fact, you see this displayed in Luke chapter 10, and Jesus is addressing an arrogant expert of religious law. And Luke 10, the guy comes to him, and he says this in verse 25. He says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now, again, this is not a question he's asking. This is a trap, right? He's trying to get Jesus in a, in a debate. He's trying to put Jesus in his place and prove that he knows more than Jesus does. And so Jesus throws it back at him and says, well, what does the law say? And he proudly declares in verse 27, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. I get a gold star, right? I know the answer. But then to prove how great he was after Jesus says, yeah, you're, you're right. He says, well, then Jesus, just who is my neighbor? He's justifying himself. He wants to get a debate about this. And then Jesus flips his world upside down. And to show him that this religious expert who had memorized the law completely missed its point that god's word had informed him in so many things but his heart had not been transformed and so then jesus tells him the story of the good samaritan in response and he explains how he needs to actually care for his neighbors those people that he most despises the people he most hates you, you see this expert in religious law wanted to have a theological debate with jesus he wanted to define meanings of words and, and get into the specifics of how he knows more than him and, and trap him in the midst of his words as an academic exercise of some kind. And Jesus instead makes it about practically loving his neighbor and helping out people that he wouldn't want to be seen with. People maybe he was terrified to go near. Jesus takes the law and shows how it's lived out in the life of this Jewish scholar. That the law is not just to be studied on a page or simply memorized or recited, but to be lived out, to be devoured, to be internalized, to haga, right? Not just to inform, but to transform. And that's what scripture meditation is supposed to be like, forming us into the image of Christ. Amen? So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at a couple different methods of prayerfully meditating upon scripture that focus on us being formed by the God's Word through the Holy Spirit. And so this morning we are going to hog out or, or meditate upon John 15 together, the first part of it. And, and for today, the form of Bible meditation we're going to use is one that, that uh, 
focuses on reading a small portion of scripture multiple times and asking the Holy Spirit to show us his heart in that text and then apply it to our lives. And so I was first exposed to this direct form of, of things actually from this book, Eat This Book, when I read it, I don't know, 12 years ago by Eugene Peterson. And it's now become my favorite way of, of haggaing, of, of meditating. Sorry, a Hebrew scholar would be angry at me for saying that. Um, but uh, for I, it makes sense to me that put it out of the plural form. Sorry, John, if you're in the room. Um, but in fact, Eugene Peterson spends a few chapters, almost half the book, actually talking about this form of meditation that I love. And so you know, there's no rules with this form of Bible meditation. It's, there's just a few basic steps to it. And the, over the last 2,000 years, it's been done thousands of different ways. If you look into it, you'll find endless ways of doing it. Everyone's got different steps, different names, and that's fine. There's just kind of a basic flow to it that I want to talk about today. And so uh, the way I do this is, is overall has five steps we're going to talk about today. And, and the first one is going to be read. We're just going to read the text. Next one is reflect, then respond, then rest, and then later on we'll recall. So I'm going to go through these. So number one is read. So first we're going to start by choosing a small section of scripture. One to five verses can be a maximum of ten, but even that's pushing the limit of what we can do unless you want to spend an hour doing it. You could pick any passage, but try and pick zero one on a smaller thing. So for usually for me, when I'm doing like my morning reading and reading a few chapters, as I'm doing that, I'm looking out for what is the passage I want to zero in on on that? What are the few verses of that that stick out the most to me in that broader reading? If there's nothing in that broader reading, and maybe I'm in a long narrative or something and nothing stood out, then I might go pick a psalm or pick something from John or, or go with a, maybe a passage that's, that I, I appreciate and just ask the Lord to kind of lead me to that. And then we're going to read the passage through several times slowly. Now, I might read the text three to six or even ten times if it's just a couple verses, as I'm just reading over it again and again and again. And as I read, what I'm doing is I'm listening for any phrases that might stand out to me. So this way of reading again is very different than the way you would read a book or even the way you would do kind of a morning reading, a Bible in the year program. Well, you would do that, but then this is a very different style. It's going very slowly. I'm not trying to get everything. I'm trying to prayerfully say, Lord, what are you wanting to speak to me today? From this passage that we're looking at, what is going to be able to stand out? And so there's no rules here. I'm just looking for a, a few words, maybe a verse or a short phrase, something that the Lord is going to highlight there. Something that's going to stand out to me. Something that the Lord may be trying to speak to my heart. And that's what I'm doing in step one as I read through it. Is What is this main thing that's highlighted for me that's standing out to me in this text? A few words, a phrase, maybe it's a full verse. Something short that I feel the Lord is kind of really highlighting to me in that time. And then as we do that, once we have that short phrase, it could take a minute, it could be a few seconds, it could be a few minutes, we move on to step number two. And step number two, we're going to read through the text slowly again with that phrase in mind, with that thing that God's, we're trying to keep it in context. This isn't about just subjective reading and being whatever your feelings tell you. So we take that phrase, we read through the context again to make sure that we're not just going off the deep end to some random thought or emotion, but we're staying within the context of the text. And then we're going to take time and spend a few minutes reflecting upon that verse and phrase. And as we do this, this is really the Haga part of this. This is where we let it sink into our hearts and beware of your emotions or memories that come up as you do this. The things the Lord might be trying to tell you. If you're someone who says, I don't like the idea of hearing from the voice of God or whatever that is, or I've never heard him. This is, don't get weird about the language. Just listen to what might be impressed upon your heart in this time of what's highlighted in this time. Ponder whatever that is. And, and this is where you're just kind of like the cow chewing the cud. You're just mulling it over, whatever that phrase may be, whatever that, 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 that verse may be that you're just there. And you're just mulling it again and again and again. What you're doing is you're asking the Lord to give you revelation about that for your life today. 
to take that, that text, that, the words that you have memorized, or maybe you don't memorize, it's there, and you want it to be poured into your life. You want it to be devouring. You're trying to get into your intestines, into your body. This is that growling part over of, Lord, what are you speaking to me through this passage right now? Prayerfully asking him, listening to what God is going to speak to you through. And again, to be clear, this is not subjective. It's not just saying you get to make the text but say whatever you want it to say. It's staying within the context of it. But it's asking the Lord to speak to you through it. And after you spend a few minutes in this point of reflecting, of, of meditating upon the text, then we're ready to go to step number three, which is respond. And this one, now that we've been wrestling it, now it's time to apply it and respond. So we take what's been highlighted by God to us in prayer, and we prayerfully apply that truth that we've been, we've been lingering on into our life in prayer. And then we just go to the Lord in prayer. And it might involve repentance, if it's a, something that's a correction. It may involve praise, if it's just thanking Him for what's going on. It may involve an action step of saying, I need to change in this area or that area. So for example, just an example of how we can do this. So we were looking at Psalm 23 last week. And in the first step, we were doing Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack, and on. And we read that few, that we would start in, in step one, and we would read through that passage slowly a few times. Maybe you pick all six verses. You might even just be highlighting just verse one and just read verse one ten times or something. And maybe as you do that, as you read a bunch of times prayerfully, the words, let's say, my shepherd stick out to you. Like, he's mine, if you're talking about last week. And then you go on to second step. And in the second step, you're going to linger there. You're going to read it over a few more times. In the context, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lock. He leads me by still waters. Maybe I might repeat that phrase that I'm lingering on, my shepherd. I might repeat it five or ten times again, just, just mulling on it. It's like the cow chewing the cud, just my shepherd, my shepherd, my shepherd. And as I'm doing that, I'm just asking the Lord, what are you speaking to me about this right now? What about this, Lord, do I need to hear right now? So I'm just listening, and I'm just my shepherd, my shepherd. And maybe as I'm doing that, as I'm, as I'm doing it, I'm realizing in my heart, as I'm just processing, I don't know, but sometimes it's clear that God's speaking, sometimes it's not, it's just me processing with it. I'm like, maybe I realize, you know, I've been holding the reins a little bit too tightly recently. That he's not been my shepherd, but I've actually been following myself as the shepherd, leading myself. And maybe there's that revelation as I'm doing this. Or, or maybe I realize I've just not been trusting him. He's my shepherd. He's the good shepherd. I, I, don't, I should not lack. And I realize I'm doing that, that I'm actually not trusting him. I'm, I'm trusting in myself. I'm trusting in my own actions. And I've not been leaning into him in this time. Whatever it is, I'm, as I'm mulling over it, as I'm hogging in that text, I'm, I, I'm processing that deeply. And, and I'm asking, Lord, what are you having to say to me? And as he reveals that to me, okay, now I'm ready to... Once I spend some time praying through that, okay, that's right. Now I'm ready to move on to step three. And the third step is that response, and now I pray that out. Now I take whatever that is that he's spoken to me, but the Lord is my shepherd. And so now it's just praying, Lord, you are my shepherd. I recognize that I have not seen you as my shepherd recently. I recognize that I'm saying you're my shepherd with my mouth, but in reality, I'm just following my own leading. I'm not following after you in any, any way. I'm doing my own things. And I, I just spend some time praying into that. And maybe there's a repentance piece there. Maybe it's a realignment piece of saying, Lord, I need to follow you, Lord. Show me in the areas of my heart right now where I'm not following you. Or maybe it's a trust piece. I'm like, Lord, I'm so sorry for not trusting you yesterday when I was freaking out about the finances or about the, off the thing at work or whatever it is, Lord. I recognize I lost sight of you as my shepherd. I was in curvatus in se. I was looking in on my own belly button. I was was just staring in on myself and curved in on myself and I wasn't seeing you. And whatever that is, it's responding to that prayer in step three. Then step four is going to be rest. And this one, some people get weird with this one because we don't like it. This is just silence. Where he says in Isaiah or the Psalms, be still and know that I am God. And step four is just silence. Sit and enjoy God and marvel at his love. 
right? After you just sit for a minute and just sit in his love, in that stillness, he may invite you to dialogue with him further about whatever it is. But if not, just sit there in his love for a couple minutes. And then the fifth step is recall. That's later. Later in the day, a few times in the day, or a few later in the week, if you're just doing this once per week, remember or recall that phrase, whatever it is. In this case, my shepherd. And what happens, it's so cool when you do this. One of the reasons why this is my favorite form of meditation is the moment I just in my head say, my shepherd, that entire 20 or 30 minutes comes rushing back to me, and I'm right back there sitting in my lazy boy or wherever it was, laying in my bed with God, and everything that I was looking at in that scripture, the whole context, the whole passage comes back to me. Everything from that morning that God was speaking to me comes back to me in that moment, and as I'm driving to work or I'm at lunch or I'm just meeting with someone, I just think, my shepherd, instantly all of that comes back to me, and I'm reminded of what God is speaking into my heart. Even even a week later, oftentimes like a month or two later, I'll recall one of these that I did like a month later. And it's just that whole experience comes right back to me. I'm like, yes, Lord, thank you. And I'm reminded of his faithfulness and his presence in those ways. It's a beautiful way of meditating upon scripture. All right. So that's basically how it goes. This is my favorite form of doing it. There are so many different ways you look this stuff up, but I just want us to do this together this morning. We're going to take the next 10, 15 minutes or so. We're going to do it together, kind of guided way as, as a body right now. And again, this isn't going to be a fake prayer. This is going to be a real prayer, right? It's a practice, but I want us to genuinely pray and trust that God is going to move and he's going to speak to us as a body right here, right now. If you're watching online, please do it with us. If you're listening to a podcast while driving, uh, maybe not recommended to close your eyes, uh, but it's, I would recommend probably wait until you can get home to do it where you can actually be present and be fully present. Um, but we're going to do this through John 15 right now. If this weirds you out for some reason, just go to your safe place, uh, pull out Wordle on your phone, and pretend you're reading the Bible, whatever you need to do. Um, so first reminder of the steps. One, we're going to reflect, we're going to read, or sorry, read, reflect, respond, rest, and later on we'll recall. So let's pray as we open up. So Father, we thank you for the chance we have to enter into your word together. Lord, may you open our hearts to receive from you. May open our minds, Lord, to, to commune with you right now, Lord Jesus. Be aware that you are present here right now with us. We want to meet with you, Lord Jesus. Amen. So we're going to start, I'm going to read through this text a couple times slowly. Again, as we do this, seek the Lord to highlight something to you. Kind of like if you're at a river or a lake, and you're just looking out, and there's something that shimmers in the water right? Your, your eyes are just drawn to, that's kind of what we're looking for here is, Lord, what, what, what's, what's going to kind of show, what stands out? What is going to kind of jump out of you or catch your eye as you're reading through this, right? Of what is the Lord trying to draw your eyes to? So as we read, look for a phrase, a few words that just kind of stand out to you as we read through this text. I'll read it through twice. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. It's up on the screen if you want to see it. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm going to read it one more time. Again. Ask the Lord for what was going to catch your eye or stand out to you. A phrase, some words. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. 
You were already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So take one minute in silence. It's up on the pass, on the board. You can read through it again if you need to. Just seek the Lord for what is something that will stick out to you here, that highlights. And afterwards, we're going to turn and share with our neighbor whatever that phrase is. Turn and tell a neighbor, what is a phrase that's stood out to you in that passage? Okay, now we're doing something a little bit different. I'm going to ask Shannon and... Yeah, when Shannon and Esther have some roving mics. When a couple people just raise your hand and just share what is the phrase of the few words that stood out to you, right? Just raise your hand, get a few people to share. So we can just hear some different options. Be bold. There we go. Over here, we got a couple. Need at least one or two over here. Don't, don't make Shannon feel lonely. All right. All right. So phrase that stood out to me, or word specifically, is fruit, mainly because I've been thinking about the fruits of the Spirit. Come on. Cool. Someone else. I saw a few hands over there. Back. Oh, right here. No branch can bear fruit by itself. Awesome. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Very cool. Try and reduce that a little bit shorter so you can spend some more time digging in, but that's beautiful. One more. So we got Barbie in the next, and then over here, Amy. I also chose no branch can bear fruit by itself. Awesome. Remain in me as I also remain in you. Amen. Amen. All right. So now we have our phrase. If you didn't have one, now you got some options of ones you can use. For me, it was just apart from me, you can do nothing. That's what stood out to me in this one. All right. So now we're going to go on to step two. Now step two is reflect. So here's we move to step two. We're going to read through it slowly one more time with that phrase in mind, kind of in the front of our mind. And we're going to spend time reflecting upon what that phrase or that verse means to us in this time. We're going to listen for what God is speaking to us as we do this. So let's read it again. Again, thinking about that phrase as you do. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will bear even more, be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So now we're going to take two minutes just in silence, and I want us just to haga. Right? Devour it. Let it internalize. Just whatever that phrase is. That's why we want to keep something short that you can just mull over in your mind. We're going to take two minutes in silence. Just mull this over with the Lord. What is God wanting to speak to you through those words, through that verse, through those phrase? Two minutes in silence. What is God speaking to us now? Now, turn to your neighbor and just share anything that stood out to you in that, in that passage. Tell them what the phrase was and then what stood out to you. And if you're uncomfortable, you can just say pass or leave me alone. Okay, any, any brave souls to a couple hands to want to share so we can just hear some examples of what things is God. So give your phrase and then briefly, no sermons, briefly, whatever the Lord's saying right here. Awesome. A couple more. Anyone else? 
He prunes. I don't prune myself. Yeah. Amen? Amen? You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. And what stood out is that that removes the barrier to return and remain in him. Yeah. So often we're hung up by our shame and yeah. guilt. But just step back. Ooh, there's a sermon right there, man. That's beautiful. Uh, my phrase was, apart from me, you could do nothing. And um, I have a hard time giving up control. And in order for me to have faith and believe that there's a plan and I can do things only with him, I have yeah. to give up that control. Amen, amen, amen. Do you have any others? One more? Right here, Roger. That last sentence is like a promise. You will bear fruit because yeah. you have a father who's a gardener of the true vine and you're part of that branch and he is pruning you and you are clean. So you want to remain, so you will do it. You, the fruit will happen. Amen, 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 amen. All right. So now let's go to step three, which is respond. So now we're going to spend a couple minutes and just pray. We're just going to spend time and just whatever it is that the Lord's been leading into your heart. Maybe there's nothing, then just pray out whatever the text is. Usually for me, I just take whatever that phrase is, and I pray through it just multiple times, and then just build from there for whatever that is. We're going to take the next couple minutes and just spend a couple minutes just praying. And pray, respond back to God. It may involve repentance. It may involve correction. It may just be praise of enjoying his presence. But pray out your response of putting it into legs, into action. Amen. And the last step here, number four, is, is just rest. So now we're to take another minute. We're just going to sit in silence. Don't fill it with words. Just sit and enjoy God. And if this is a little too weird for you, you can fill it with words if you have to. Just listen to him. See what he has to say. And just sit in his presence.
And that's a basic practice. I know it's kind of weird doing it in an audience like this. I hope the Lord was able to kind of speak a little something to you today. But this is my favorite form. And then the fifth step is one for the rate later on this day. You just take that phrase, be apart from me, you can do nothing. And then just throughout the day a couple times, I'll just remember that next day, a couple days later, maybe at a quiet time later in the day when I'm driving to work, when I recall that phrase, everything that God just spoke comes to me. And so um, this is, this may seem a little weird to you. Some of you, this is normal. Maybe you've done this many times before. But regardless, I would encourage you, give it a try a few times this week. Even if it seems weird and kind of forced, try it out a few times this week because every new thing we try is always difficult and weird. Or not always, but oftentimes the first time we try it. So this particular method is something that's been used for over 2, 000, almost 2,000 years by the church throughout history. The first record we have of Christians using this kind of form is just a couple hundred years after Jesus' death, and then it was popularized a few hundred years later, and then it went kind of more mainstream in the 1200s with some monks that were at the time. And at the time, the name they gave it, because everyone uses Latin back then, was Lexio Divina, is what they called this form of prayer. And if you Google that name, you'll find there's many different forms of it. In fact, there's infinite forms of different numbers of steps and how they use it. If you Google it, you'll find kind of the Latin names for everything. They call the, the initial reading Lexio, and then the, the reflection is called Meditatio, and then the prayer is called Oratio, and it kind of goes to different things. And you'll see that everyone does it a bit slightly different. You'll also find there's many people out there that say this prayer is dangerous, and for understandable reasons, because they're afraid that by praying this form of prayer, biblical meditation really in general, that we're opening our, they're emptying our minds in some way, or we're just becoming subjective in how we approach the text. And I understand those are valid concerns to have of concerns about this style of prayer for those that have concerns with it, but it's really easily addressed if we stay in the context of the text. So this isn't about just subjectively getting our own idea, and it's not in any way an emptying of the mind whatsoever. There are ways we can do this. We see in the Old Testament with the mutterings and the rest. This is not about emptying our minds. It's about filling it with the Word and what the Spirit is trying to speak to us. There's also some that have concerns because this form of prayer and some others have some roots back in kind of Catholic practices. Uh, and so they say, hey, we shouldn't be doing the stuff the Catholics are doing, which is kind of funny to me first because this predates the Roman Catholic Church. Um, but also if we, re- if we reject everything that, we've, that the Roman Catholics have done, we have to reject the biblical canon because that was from 325 and the Council of seen and other stuff around that time. We have to reject the teaching on the Trinity. We have to reject God's sovereignty. We have to reject so many things that we just say, hey, it's Catholic, therefore we throw it out. Um, there's some brilliant Catholic theologians out there and some great monks. Um, and so if you have any concerns about this, just want to be honest, I recognize I've had some people that have concerns about this. Um, I've put up on uh, the sermon notes, there's a great article by the greatest evangelical Calvinist reformed scholar of our time, uh, J.I. Packer. Uh, he wrote the book Knowing God. You don't get more conservative, more reformed, more Calvinist than, than J.I. Packer. He's brilliant, the greatest theologian of our time in that stream, and he has this on the C.S. Lewis Institute website, kind of his process of how he uses Lectio Divina. That link is on our website. You could go grab it or on, our, on the sermon notes if you think, hey, that seems a little New Agey. Dude, J.I. Packer is the opposite of New Agey, right? He is Old Agey, of the oldest kind of Old Agey. Um, and this is a central part of how he does stuff, right? And not just because of his age, but uh, because of how he holds stuff, right? Okay, even John Piper loves Lectio Divina. So, um, so I want to stress, this prayer must be grounded in solid interpretation. You don't just get to figure out whatever you want the text to mean, but it's letting God speak to you in that way. And I love how Adele Calhoun puts it regarding this. She says, Lectio Divina is not so much about mastering the text, but being mastered by it. I love that phrase. It's not about mastering the text of us having the perfect interpretation or the perfect understanding and all the ways, but about it mastering us, about our lives reflecting the text. So application for this week then. 
you take home, we have this prayer practice on all the seats. It's also available again on our website with the sermon notes. If you go to sermons, sermon messages, sermon resources on our website, you'll find the notes available to download. It's there along with the sermon notes, the discussion questions. And the discussion question this week for small groups is just, it gives you a practical walkthrough of doing one of these with a different passage. That's kind of the, well, there's a couple questions, then just go through it. It's a great way to go through a group together. I love with groups just going through this kind of a, of a, of a, of a Bible meditation and then sharing kind of what we did just with more information, sharing what we did together. Uh, but this prayer practice is there. Take it home, and I encourage you, do this three times this week. Even if you found that that was weird, do it three times. I get, I'll tell you, the amount of times that I've kind of tried different practices throughout the years of, of things that so often I started to go, nope, I hate that. And you may hate it, and that's just fine. It's not like you're less of a Christian. A lot of people hate it. Awesome. Um, but don't say you hate it, kind of like I tell our kids when you try a new food. Don't say you hate it until you tried it a few times, right? Because it, 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 there's something beautiful about it that can actually really resonate as we try to bring Haga deeper into our hearts and our minds and our souls. All right? Um, and again, whenever I'm doing it, the way I choose a passage, so if you go on that form, there's, I put like 10 different passages that I think work well for it that I've used, but it's not, I'm not saying do those, there's just ones I think that are naturally catered to like a really easy entry point. But for me, again, I just take whatever my morning reading is, and then just kind of trying to see what is the bigger passage I'm going to lean into, and then from that I choose the phrase as I lean in further. All right. So let's pray as we finish. And then the worship team will come on up. Lord, we thank you for the freedom we have to be with you. The joy that we have to fellowship with you, Jesus. And thank you, Lord, that you are near as we've been talking about, Lord. You dwell with us. As we saw last week again, and almost every week, we saw in Psalm 23 that you dwell with us. We don't have to be afraid because you are with us right here, right now. And Lord, the whole purpose of spending a few weeks doing this, we want to draw near to you, Lord. We want to cultivate, excuse me, lives that pursue you in your presence and knowing you and being formed by you and transformed by you, Jesus. And so, Lord, for each of us, Lord, may you open up our hearts to you more and more, to your ways, to your words, to your life. And Father, may we take time this week to lean into being increasingly formed and transformed by your words. And then we pray.